Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we are following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Invisible Heat. I am Sadia Khan. And I'm Asa Bhatt. So listeners, this is a special edition of Invisible Heat, a weekly true crime podcast in which Asad and I attempt to uncover the ugly truths behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. We have a surprise for all of you. But before we begin, Asad, how's your week been going so far? You know, Salia, I know that you're going to be asking me this every week. And every week I forget to prepare something to talk about how my week has been going. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think week has been going well. You know, our life revolves around our now five-month-old daughter. And so this weekend was like trying to figure out whether or not our house was big enough (laughs) for all the things now that she has acquired. An important question. Yes. And so we actually went to go look at it, you know, start the process of whether or not we should go find another house. But, you know, it's all these things. Do you stay in the same neighborhood? Do you move to a different neighborhood? All the things like what what is important to each one of us, right? And is this going to be the house that we're going to spend the next 25 years in? Or is it just, you know, for the next couple of years? It's all these questions. Have you moved a lot, Sadia? I said I have, but that's because of Pakas's work. I mean, we moved from Pakistan, so that was a big move. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's so interesting as you talk about how you're thinking about all these things now that you have baby Isha. We are going to be empty nesters very soon. Whoa, that's a huge thing. It's freaking me out. I'm not ready. I am not ready at all. I mean, all. you might as well move to Florida and get into retirement oh community. My gosh. And you could be power walking with all those old people. Salia, you're you're <laughs> you're like you're old now. You got kids out of the house. I am old. Imagine both kids leaving for college soon. That's crazy. So yeah, I feel so sad and so anxious. Oh wow. It just seems so surreal. I don't want To be an empty nester right now, I don't know. It's just too soon. Too soon for me. Maybe she'll drop out of school and move back home and then you'll be happy. Oh, my gosh. I don't want her to do that. (laughs) I don't want her to do that. (laughs) Amazing. Sada, should we get to this episode? Yes. So in the next two episodes, we are actually delving into a different dimension of societal dynamics. We are taking a break from our regular programming to share two thought-provoking episodes from our sister podcast, Immigrantly. Those of you who don't know this, 
I produce and host Immigrantly and these two episodes will explore the unsettling truths behind the missing white girl syndrome, shedding light on its impact on understanding diverse ethnic groups. So as loyal listeners of Invisible Hate, I'm sure you guys know how crucial it is to explore the intricacies of identity and vulnerability in the face of hatred. And while these episodes do not directly cover hate crimes, which we basically do on Invisible Hate, they highlight a through line between media narratives and their undeniable influence on individuals. And as I said, you and I have talked a lot about media's impact on how these different narratives, especially around minority groups, are formed. Oh, 100%. It's part of the reason why both of you have our independent media companies, right? It's because of these narratives that are formed. Exactly. So in the first episode, I will introduce you to a case which you may or may not have heard of before. It's the disappearance of Sofia Juarez the day before her fifth birthday. And the TikTok video 18 years later reignited the search for her. I basically want to shed light on her story as an example of the media's impact on public awareness and investigation. In part two, which will release next week, I will dig deeper into missing white girl syndrome, when it became an issue, how it has affected especially the Latino community, and what should be done to prioritize the well-being of all children in the news. We will have plenty of examples of this situation. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to Immigrantly, a weekly podcast that is revolutionizing storytelling in America by offering a new kind of intellectual engagement that encourages our listeners to learn and unlearn on their own terms without fear of judgment. Our vision is to normalize the immigrant identity within the American social discourse for a kinder, more humane world. I am your producer and host, Sadia Khan. As most long-time Immigrantly listeners know, it's usually just me on the mic interviewing a new guest each week. But for the next two episodes, our structure will be a little bit different from our usual content. Let me explain to you and give you a little bit of context. A couple of months ago, the founder and director of Project Pulso, a nonprofit media company, reached out to explore a possible collaboration with Immigrantly. Just an FII, Immigrantly and Pulso are part of the URL Media, a decentralized multi platform network of high performing black and brown media organizations. Pulso highlights stories from the Latino community, and for this episode, too, we decided to tackle one topic in particular, the tragic phenomenon of missing children. According to our research, about 200 to 400,000 children may go missing in any given year in the United States. Isn't that crazy? Many of these end up being runaways who return home within a week. But have any of you 
ever stumbled across those haunting documentaries about a child actually being kidnapped. There's the Casey Anthony trial, the J.C. Dugard story, or the story of Amber Hegeman, who inspired the Amber Alerts you now get on your phone. As a parent myself, kidnapping stories break my heart. They are so, so terrifying. But as Pulso pointed out in an article from 2021, there's a recurring issue in these missing persons cases that's pretty hard to ignore once you notice it. And that's media coverage. On Immigrantly, time and again, we do stress the disparities that non-white communities in the U.S. face. And unfortunately, this situation is no different. Study after study has found that when it comes to missing children's stories in the news, white children, especially white girls, receive disproportionately more media coverage by far. This has commonly been called missing white girl syndrome. Study shows oftentimes race plays a factor, and that's how the term missing white woman syndrome was coined. Missing white woman syndrome was a term that was popularized by Gwen Ifill. I call it the missing white woman syndrome. <laughs> if there's a missing white woman, we're going to cover that every day. The key to being found if you go missing is to be white and be a woman. Well, not only that, you got to be white, you got to be a woman, you have to be young, you have to be blonde, you have to be pretty. Despite minorities experiencing disproportionately high rates of disappearance, their stories are not as widely circulated in the news, which is so sad. Now, of course, any missing child calls for an urgent action. I am in no way suggesting that white children shouldn't be in the media. And I'm always hoping the best for any child or family in this situation. Guys, I am a mom, right? So I know what that pain. I shouldn't say I know, but I can pretty much speculate what that pain would look like. And that's why we are working with Pulso to break down why there is such a disparity in the populations going missing and the media coverage of it. And because Pulso is a Latino-based platform, as I mentioned in the beginning, they are primarily interested in how missing white girl syndrome affects Latino youths specifically. Now here I should add an important technicality. So listen closely. Latino and Hispanic identities encompass multiple races. There are white Latinos, black Latinos, Asian Latinos, and Latinos who don't even identify with any of those categories. So yes, a missing white girl can be Latino, but it's also important to remember the other factors that may come into play here. Unfortunately, Complexion, class, and immigration status matter in media bias. So the experience of a darker skin or black Latino boy, for example, is not the same as a white Latina girl. But don't worry, we will break this down further later. I hope you stay with us throughout this episode because it is such an incredibly important conversation. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. 
But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Remember, we have two whole episodes planned out for this topic. So for now, let me just explain how this will work. In this first episode, I'm going to introduce you to a case you may or may not have heard of before. It's the disappearance of Sofia Juarez the day before her fifth birthday and the TikTok video 18 years later that reignited the search for Sofia. I want to shed light on her story as an example of the impact that media can have on public awareness and investigation. Then in part two, next week, we'll dig deeper into missing white girl syndrome. When it became an issue, how it has affected the Latino community specifically, and what should be done to prioritize the well-being of all, and I really, really mean all children in the news, we'll have plenty of examples of the situation. So please stay tuned for next episode as well. But for now, let's start with part one, the disappearance of Sofia Juarez. Tonight, we have new information from the Kennewick Police Department. The search continues for Sofia Juarez. We are going to find out what happened to her and, and who's responsible. It's been very hard as just witnessing the ache and the suffering and the pain that it has taken on this family. In April of 2021, only two years ago, a TikTok account called Akaiaya posted this video. Now that was an excerpt from a 30-second interview between the TikTok user and a young woman in Mexico. Now, for plenty of people, including me, I am sure the video doesn't seem like much, especially for those of us who don't speak Spanish. The video probably flew under the radar of the For You page at first, but for many other users, the video struck a shockingly familiar chord. The young woman in the interview looked a lot like Sofia Juarez, a little girl who went missing back in 2003, the night before her fifth birthday. You know the eeriest part? The young woman in the TikTok believes that she too was kidnapped as a little girl and she says she is 22 years old, almost the age that Sofia would have also been in 2021. And when this video came out, there began a resurfacing of a missing child case that had long since been gone unresolved. Could this TikTok account really help uncover a lead? Well, that was the hope. 
But before we talk about the video and the girl in the video in detail, let's rewind 20 years ago to February 4th, 2003 and unravel what would become the first ever Amber Alert in the state of Washington. Sophia Juarez was a little girl living in the city of Kennewick in Washington state at the time of her disappearance. She was born February 5th, 1998. And so February 4th, 2003 was one day shy of her fifth birthday. At around 8 p.m. on February 4th, Sophia's grandmother's boyfriend a man named Jose Lopez Torres asked the kids in the family, including Sofia, if they wanted to come with him to the store a few blocks away. When everyone initially declined, Jose left alone, but then four-year-old Sofia changed her mind. Somewhere between Jose leaving and then getting in his car to drive away, Sofia told her mother she wanted to go. I kid you not, that happens. Kids do that a lot. When my girls were little, they would switch every five seconds. Their opinions, their thoughts, what they wanted, what they did not want. So her mother, Maria, helped her put her shoes on, handed her a dollar, and then watched her walk out the door. At around 9.45 p.m., maybe an hour later, Jose returned from the store, but without Sofia. In fact, he had not even seen her leave the house to follow him. It was at this moment that Maria Juarez realized what had happened. Sofia actually walked outside alone, never caught up with Jose. Jose never realized that Sofia wanted to come with him and had already driven away. And as police will later verify, Sophia never even made it to the store. Despite immediately contacting the police and a 36-hour long Amber Alert, that was the last time Sophia's family saw her. And listeners, this breaks my heart. An almost five-year-old girl goes missing. Imagine what must be going through her parents' mind. And as I mentioned before, this was the first Amber Alert in the state of Washington, even though the Amber Alert system officially began in 1996 out of Texas. I would like to think it was the first because nobody else went missing before, but that seems a bit hard to believe. Anyways, the alert no doubt boosted the initial number of volunteers that joined the police's search efforts over the next few days. And the family shared photos of Sophia as well as a description. Three feet tall, a mole under one eye, pierced ears, last seen wearing a pair of overalls. According to various sources, the search teams actually find a pair of child's overalls and shoes likely somewhere around their street but they weren't Sofia's. Sofia Juarez had vanished without a trace. 
For a long time, this was all the public knew of the case, which was honestly a bit of a shock to me. On Invisible Hate, the true crime podcast about hate crimes that I co-host and co-produce, I am used to there just being more to the story than this. More evidence, more clues, more leads. But the Sofia Juarez case went cold so quickly. There are so many missing pieces, listeners. I don't even know where to begin. You would think that the early Amber Alerts would get more buzz, right? Well, no. Project Bolso even suggests that Sophia's story was in part obscured by the rescue of Elizabeth Smart a month later in March 2003. Now, Smart was a 14-year-old girl who had been kidnapped nine months previously in June of 2002. Of course, it's amazing that she was found, but at the same time, I also can't help but worry that the shift in the media's attention affected the involvement in Sophia's case. So, what were investigators doing at the time about Sophia? Well, first I want to explain something. The majority of kidnappings are the result of a parent, family member or someone else the child knows. It's actually pretty rare that a stranger is involved. So, ruling out the family is therefore a crucial step. But the family was quickly ruled out as suspects. The grandmother's boyfriend was cleared of any suspicion because his alibi was simple. He had bought some items from the store. Like he had said, investigators also contacted Sophia's father, who was pretty much uninvolved in her life anyway. He was also cleared of suspicion. So now listeners, with this background information, let's come back to the TikTok video from 2021 I played in the beginning. There are a few reasons why users connect the young woman there to Sofia Juarez. One, the woman lives in Mexico, which is where Sofia and her family were originally from. Two, the woman believes that she had been kidnapped as a child. Three, the woman says she is 22. Now, Sophia would have been 23, but the ages are close enough that various comments on the video suggested that maybe the woman herself was unclear about the exact date of her birthday, which really makes sense to me. I mean, she had been kidnapped at a very young age, right? It would make sense if she got the dates slightly wrong. And four, to many users, the young woman just looked a lot like Sophia did. Police have since released an age progression photo of how they believe Sophia may look now. And according to some, the young woman from the TikTok bears a striking resemblance. So you can imagine why that TikTok becomes such an important piece of potential information. Otherwise, there isn't a whole lot of details illuminating Sophia's disappearance. As I said, there isn't much information. So amazingly, that 30-second interview kickstarts a new wave of investment in Sophia. From regular people to law enforcement alike, the TikTok received enough buzz to attract the attention of investigators and law enforcement as well. They begin looking into the account and the young woman, but it proves to be a slight challenge. First of all, 
The woman is by now at a rehabilitation facility in Mexico. It's not clear why she's there. But what's important is that U.S. police have no authority in Mexico without the permission of Mexico's courts and law enforcement, which makes sense, right? Each country has its own laws and jurisdiction, so formally receiving permission takes a while. But U.S. law enforcement does acknowledge the plausibility of the comments under the TikTok video and hopes to get a DNA sample from the young woman. In the meantime, the Kennewick Police Department receives numerous tips with information that they had never, and I mean never, heard before in the 18 years since Sophia's disappearance. With this new influx of info, they decide to release some information of their own that they had kept confidential since 2003. I honestly don't know why they did that, but I think I have some idea and I will explain soon. The most important information is as follows. Apparently, on the night of February 4th, 2003, a witness had seen someone walking with a little girl that matched Sophia's description. That suspicious someone was described as a young Hispanic boy somewhere between 11 and 14 years old. This boy led the little girl to a silver or grey van parked on a side street. And apparently the boy was laughing while the little girl who may have been Sophia was crying as they walked. The witness had not thought this incident was worthy of police intervention until the alerts about Sophia were officially aired. Pretty significant information, right? I know. According to one Kennewick police officer, Lieutenant Aaron Clem, in an NBC News source, the police kept this information from the public because they were actively using it to help find the suspect. We didn't want to put the information out to the public uh, because we were looking for the suspect at that time and we didn't want the suspect to know that we had a, a, a detailed description. But now police have... Now, I am not a police officer. I am not in law enforcement, so I don't know the logic. I will trust the police here and go by the logic that they've given us. But anyways, in the wake of the TikTok, they figured it would help if more of the general public had this information, obviously 18 years later. And honestly, that's one of the most important parts of this story, at least in my opinion. The point is, and I want you to pay close attention, visibility matters. There's been this massive resurgence in the search for Sofia Juarez because of a 30-second clip on TikTok. Honestly, listeners, it's amazing and makes me think that TikTok isn't just a doom-scrolling rabbit hole. And on the other side of things, what would we know about this case without this media boost? Not much, right? Would investigators have released this additional information? I don't think so. So, this shows me that the amount of media attention we give to any one story can cause a domino effect of real-life progress. So I know what you're all thinking. Does this mean we are one step closer to solving the mystery of Sophia? Unfortunately, the girl from the TikTok does not turn out to be Sophia. With the help of the FBI, 
Police obtained a voluntary DNA sample from the young woman in early 2022, but it was not a match. At the very least, I still hope that young woman herself gets some sort of help because remember that she still seems to have had some type of trauma in her backstory. She is not Sofia Juarez, but she is someone. Her identity has remained private out of respect, but it's important to keep her in mind as well. Another piece of information about Sophia resurfaces in 2021 in an episode of the true crime podcast, Washed Away. Host Ashley Smith interviews Commander Randy Maynard from the Kennewick Police Department, who, by the way, was on duty the night of Sophia's disappearance. He says that since 2003, the department has been receiving a suspicious recurring tip that Sophia was actually struck by a car while walking down the street. Allegedly, the car's occupants then put her in their vehicle and drove away while she was injured but still alive. But not long after that, they killed her and buried her. Now, Maynard says that they thoroughly investigated this claim because they kept receiving this tip specifically described the same exact way each time. But there is no evidence to support it. Is there truth to this or is someone just trying to throw off the police's search? But maybe with the revival of new information, and I really, really hope there's still a chance we may uncover the truth in the future. I won't go through all the details here, but Ashley Smith and Commander Maynard provide plenty more in-depth information. So if you want to hear more from this podcast episode, the link is in the show notes. Click on the link to get more information about Sofia Juarez's case. And listeners, I know this is not the ending any of us were hoping to hear, but yes, that is how Sofia's case ends for now at least, which brings us to the conclusion of part one. Unfortunately, Sophia's mother died in 2009 without having ever known what happened to her child. As a parent, I can't even imagine how that feels as a mother, but it's good to know that at the very least, there are other people out there who are invested in Sophia and who are trying to find her. Now, this case may be unresolved, but this story isn't finished yet. If this episode spoke to you, join us next week as we unpack the deeper truths behind stories like Sophia's. How does the media influence the tragedy of missing children? And who gets the most media attention anyways? This episode was produced by me, written by Michaela Strother. Our editorial review was done by Shay Yu. Our incredible editor for this podcast episode is Hazek Ahmed Farid. Original theme music for this episode and for all recent Immigrantly episodes is done by Simon Hutchinson. Until next time, take care and don't forget to check out part two of this two-part series. Thank you. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening to this special edition of Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, please check out the links in the show notes about the case. Please also email us your thoughts about this story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. Until next time, I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. Take care. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.